Thank you for listening to this Waterstone message. Here at Waterstone, our mission is to advance God's kingdom to God's glory. Our current series is called Power and Weakness, a study in 2 Corinthians, where we look at how we experience Jesus' power and grace in our weakness. We hope this message encourages and challenges you, and we would love to see you at one of our services at 5.30 on Saturday evenings or 9 and 10.30 on Sunday morning. A reading from the book of 2 Corinthians. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. The word of the Lord. So this past week was kind of an exciting one for Waterstone staff. We were up in the mountains uh, for our annual staff retreat. We go up to Summit County every year uh, as a whole staff. Everyone's there. And uh, just first got to give a shout out to a couple of the families who cooked meals for us for the week that sent up with us. They were delicious. We loved them. Uh, Tacos on Wednesday were were a big hit. And then uh, beyond that, we had a couple of families that actually opened up uh, their homes to allow us to stay up there. Uh, So it made a a great week even better. Uh, And it was one of those those weeks, a uh, few days where you come back and you're just physically and emotionally exhausted because of everything that happened in those two days, uh, but spiritually renewed because uh, Larry was casting vision for where we're headed as a church um, and what this next season is going to hold. And I think everyone on staff was fired up about that future. So it was a really great week. Um, some of you knew that we were up there and were praying for us, so thank you for doing that. Uh, but one of my favorite things about staff retreat is that every year after we finish with dinner and the evening session and, and maybe playing some games, uh, we all go out to a campfire outside of one of the houses that we stay at, um, and it's right next to a river. Um, It's a beautiful setting, and we all sit around the campfire, and we just share stories, right? Who doesn't love a good campfire story? And so this year, we had stories about how people got engaged. Um, We had some funny stories about how Nick and Larry have said some things that, uh, from the stage, that they wish they hadn't. Um, Some of you may remember some of those. I'll just say, I had nothing to contribute to that conversation, so um, probably just 
because I'm a little younger than them and haven't <laughs> done it too much. And, uh, and the, the other one was that some of us shared stories about how we got in trouble. And I don't want to name any names, but apparently uh, sometimes you can buy a Groupon and it is not exactly what you were hoping for. And you can end up in a very suspect situation that maybe as someone on a kid's staff, I won't say who, uh, you wouldn't want to be in. So there was a lot of great stories uh, and things that were shared. And the truth is we all love stories, right? I mean, who doesn't love a good, compelling story? It's one of the reasons I think that, that the, um, the movie industry is a billion-dollar industry, right? Because people love stories. It's a, there's a reason that Disney can remake movies they made 20 years ago and still make a billion dollars off The Lion King, right? Because we love stories, even stories that we're familiar with. Stories move us. They compel us. They draw emotion, but have you ever been in a situation where people are sharing stories and uh, someone thinks they have a good story and then they get into it and it just kind of dies out and kills the mood and when the story ends and everyone's just sitting there like, that, that was it? No, no, no punchline? Nothing? That was it? Okay. All right, great. Uh, someone else want to go? <laughs> right? Like Sometimes stories are not compelling. Sometimes small stories actually leave us longing for more. They keep us asking, is there not something else to the story? I think the truth is that sometimes when we share the story of the gospel, when we share the story of what Christ has done and who Christ is, we tell small stories. The story of the gospel we sometimes make small, and small stories have small impact. And we truncate what Christ has done, and we make the story smaller than it was intended to be, and it loses its compelling nature. And, and I think if you're in this room today, and you're a believer, and you've been walking with Jesus for a while, and you get to a point where you've heard the story, and honestly, it, it's a small story, and so you're dissatisfied in your walk with Jesus, because the story you believe at him, about him isn't compelling enough to move you. And I think some of us, we, we've left the church, honestly. Some of you in the room, you grew up in the church and you heard some of these stories about Jesus and they were so small and insignificant, they had nothing to do with your life and so you just walked away. And you're like, ah, this isn't for me. There's no power here. And some of us, we, we've been on the outside of faith and we've heard the stories that Christians tell and it just leaves us feeling either shameful or like there's nothing good in that story. What I wanna do for us today is try to reframe the gospel story because I think Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 is reframing the story of who Christ is and what he has done in the biggest and broadest and most beautiful terms. And I think it's a story that holds weight and that can compel us to do crazy supernatural things. And so if you're in a place today where the story you've been living feels too small and insignificant, my hope is that today as we look at this story, we will be propelled to a future that is beyond anything we could imagine because the future God is calling us to is a story so much bigger than we could ever dream. And that's what I hope to do today. To be honest, I feel like I might have bit off a little bit more than I can chew, so we'll see how this goes. But I wanna start by telling some of the small stories that we tell, some of the small ways that we communicate the message of the gospel. Or, and I don't think these stories are just unique to Christianity. I think a lot of faith traditions or philosophies hold these stories. So you guys are in for a treat because I'm gonna draw a little bit today. Um, and some of you don't know this, but I'm actually the graphic design artist here at Waterstone. All the slides and stuff, I, I make those. 
That's not true at all. <laughs> I am a terrible artist, so you are not in for a treat. Uh, hopefully, my chicken scratch uh, comes through and actually helps create a compelling story for us. But one of the first small stories that we have uh, is what I call the country club gospel. It's a story of the country club where everybody wants to get in to the country club because the country club, that's the cool place to be. That's the good place. And in order to get into the country club, though, you have to look a certain way, you have to act a certain way, you have to believe certain things, you have to even maybe come to church or the country club a certain number of times, you have to give a certain amount of money to be in the club, and there's all these prerequisites for getting in to the country club, right? And if you are someone who doesn't have some of those things, doesn't act the certain way or give enough or go enough, then you're on the outside and you're not allowed in to the country club. And this story is a story for people who are self-sufficient. This story is a story for people who are really good at doing things because they're the people who are really good at having it all together. They have the right look. They have the right activities. They have the right beliefs, the right amount of money. They're really good at taking care of themselves. And so it's a, it's a story about the self-sufficient, about people who can take care of themselves and are good at life. And because of that, that's not how you self, but self-sufficient. I'm going to cheat. All right, there we go. Nailed it. Oh, no, I was good. Yeah, what did, you guys stop. That was rude. I did it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, yeah, self-sufficient, right? Self-sufficient. So it's people who are really good at doing life and taking care of the things that it takes to get in to the country club. Some of you grew up with this story as a kid or maybe are still even living this story. The second story that I think we live is called the lifeboat gospel. Okay, and the lifeboat gospel is all about good and bad, right? So the lifeboat gospel is a story that we live in the world, and the world is bad. It's messed up. It's a terrible place to be. It's full of war and sin and death and sickness. And not only is the world messed up, but you're really messed up too. You are just, you're a bad person who doesn't have it together and who has a lot of things wrong in your life and, and honestly just needs to be better. But the good news is, God has sent a lifeboat to you to save you because one day he's going to come back and blow it all up like the Death Star. There we go. So good. Anytime you can throw Star Wars into it, you have to. All right. So the story is also someone asked me before service when they saw it. I was like, is that Star Trek? Come on, people. You're killing me. All right. So the lifeboat gospel, God has sent us a life raft so that we don't have to get blown up when he comes back and destroys all the bad stuff and, and wipes everything out, right? So we have a way to get up to God, even though we're messed up. And this is a gospel, this lifeboat gospel is about shame at its core. It's about people who are bad, hoping that someone will come and save them and rescue them from how bad they are and how bad everything around them is. And the truth is that, that even though you're in the lifeboat, if you're living this gospel story, there might be a part of you that's like, am I really okay? 
Am I really good enough? Am I actually in the boat? Or am I gonna get blown up like Alderaan, right? So we're living in this place of shame and a fear that we're not actually good enough to be in the lifeboat, to be saved. Third gospel that I think we live, a small story of the gospel, is what, what I wanna call the bridge gospel. And it's probably one that most of us are really familiar with. But the bridge gospel looks like this. God is over here and heaven is over here. This is the good place. And we all wanna get to the good place. But unfortunately, we're stuck over here and we're sad because we can't get to God. And the way this story is most often told is that you are a bad person who wants to get to God but can't. But God loved you so much that see, he sent his son Jesus to die for you because he loved you so much so that you can get over to the good place where you can be happy. And this is a gospel for self-obsessed people because the whole story is about you. It's I'm a sinner, I'm a bad person, but God loved me so much that he sent Jesus for me so that I can get to heaven because God was desperate to have me there with him. And it's a story that's so small because it becomes all about us and it, it takes a cosmic story and it makes it individual. Now, all of these stories, the problem with them is that they actually hold some element of truth, right? Like we can look at them and say, well, actually, that part's true or that part's true or God did send someone to save us or God did make a way for us to get across or there are certain things. Like we can see that there are small truths in these stories. But the problem is, is that they only tell part of the story. They're truncated. Truncated is the idea that, that they're kind of sh cut short. So in, in the TV world, if you're writing a script for a television show, it might, the script might be truncated to make time for commercial breaks. And so you miss part of the plot or some of the jokes that were essential to the story. It's truncated, it's made small. And the problem is that none of these stories are compelling enough to have a life spent living them. They all fall short. And there's a couple reasons why I think they fall short. The first is that they all have some element of telling us that the world is messed up, but they don't tell us how or why. And so you're kind of left guessing like, okay, I guess I'm screwed up, but why? What, what, what's wrong with me? And not only that, but, but they don't really give us anything to do in the story except from try to get to point A to point B. There's nothing really for us to participate in. We're just someone who is hopefully gonna get from a bad place to a good place. And not only that, but they place us at the center of the story. In each one of the stories, it's about us. The story is just about our own life and how we're getting saved or how we're getting into the country club. And so it becomes small and individual. And beyond that, all of these stories have some element of us trying to find a way to get to God. Some element of us trying to find a way to get from the bad place to the good place. And God may help us out along the way, but it's our responsibility to figure out how to get there. And all of these stories, although they have elements of truth, fall short of what the true, big, bold, beautiful story of the gospel actually is. And in 2 Corinthians, I think Paul is trying to help the 2 Corinthians understand this big story. And so I want to take a look at what is the big story of the gospel. And I think he begins in verse 14, where he says, For Christ's love compels us, because we were convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. 
He died for all, and those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So the big story starts something like this, according to Paul. That in the world, Christ came down and died for all. Now notice, Paul doesn't say that Christ died for me. He didn't die for you. He died for all. It's already become an all-encompassing story of humanity rather than just the individual. And notice also that the story begins by God coming to us, not us trying to figure out a way to get to him, that God came to us in Jesus and died for all. So the story's already become a story that's not for the self-obsessed. It's become a story that's for all humanity and all people. And it's not about us figuring out how to get to God, but God coming to us. And then Paul goes on in verses 16 through 19, and he says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. So Paul begins to expand the story even further beyond Christ just coming to die for us. And he talks about how God is working to reconcile the world and us to himself. And now it begs the question, well, why do we need to be reconciled? Why do we need for Christ to come and reconcile us and the world? Well, Paul is hoping that you understand some of the prequels that have been going on in Scripture. Because what the story of the gospel is, is that when God created everything, it was created for good. And that when it was created for good, we lived in harmony with each other and with God and with creation itself. And everything was good. It's a story that we see in Genesis where it says over and over again that what God created was good. But the problem is we damaged it with evil and rebellion against God. And so what was good became broken and fallen. And what the scriptures tell us is that our relationship with ourselves was broken, with each other was broken, with God it was broken, and even our creation or our, our relationship with creation was broken. And so there's this need for God to reconcile us. You see, it becomes a story where no one can be self-sufficient because we all have a deficit. We all have something that we've fallen short of and that we have separated ourselves from God. And beyond that, it's not just that it's not a gospel for the, for the self-obsessed and the self-sufficient, but I think it does something for our shame too because, because Paul goes on and he says this in verses 18 through 21. And I know we just read a few of them, but I, I wanna bring this idea together. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he was committed to us the message of reconciliation. We therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin 
to be sin for us so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. And so what it's saying is that when Christ came and died, this, me- this relationship with God that has been messed up has been restored and that he became sin and took our shame for us that even though the world is still messed up, our relationship with God can be made right. And beyond that, it actually, this story, gives us something to participate in. Because even though we're living in a world that is still messed up and that Christ came and died for us and made things right with him, the world is still full of evil and darkness and sin and death. And as people who believe this story, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And so we go out into the world to redeem the world, to reconcile the world, to bring it back to the way that God had originally intended it to be. So we have a role to play in this grand story. And as we carry out that role and as we try to push back against the darkness, we're waiting for the day that God will return and restore all things and finish the work that he started on the cross. That is the big story of the gospel. And I think it's one that that holds a more compelling tale because what Paul says in the beginning is that it's a story that is propelled and compelled by love, that its foundation is the love of God, that God created the world in love, and that he sent Jesus in love, and he sends us in love. And this love is designed to try to restore everything that's ever been messed up, every sad thing undone, every terrible thing coming back to the way it was originally intended to be because of the love of God and the love that he sends his people in. So how does that big story, the big story of the gospel, help us live a more transformative experience to experience the big, bold, beautiful story that God is telling? How does that change the way that we interact with God? Well, I think it does a couple of things for us. I think the first is that it helps us with the illusion of our self-sufficiency. Because when we look at the big story of the gospel, we are confronted with the fact that we have a deficit. And to be honest, that's something that's really hard for most of us in this room to admit because we are really good at living the country club life. We are really good at taking care of ourselves. We are really good at having our finances in order and having our family in check and making sure that our health is in order. In fact, it's interesting, Barna Research Group, they did a study a few years ago that they asked Christians and non-Christians what their chief goal in life was, what their number one goal in life was, churched and unchurched. They all had the same four answers. And their same four answers were these. They want to experience good health. They want to succeed in their job. They want to parent their children well. And they want some sort of financial security. The truth is that most of us, the story we are living doesn't get much bigger than that. The story that we are living is a story of self-sufficiency that I'm gonna take care of me and mine and make sure that we're okay. The problem is that I think that story begins to fall apart and it lacks a compelling nature because for most of us, while we can be good at that for a while, what happens when one of those things falls? What happens when our kids who we've been trying to parent well walk away and disown us? 
What happens when our finances get turned upside down, either because we lose our job or because the market goes south? What happens when our health is taken away? See, all of those things are finite things. And when you put finite things in the place of an infinite thing, they cannot hold up to the weight and expectation that you put on them. And so it's a small story that leaves us feeling ultimately like things are insufficient. One of the hardest things I think for self-sufficient people like us to do is to admit that we have a deficit, to admit that we need God because we're good at taking care of ourselves. And so if you're in this camp, what would it take for you to admit that you need God? What happens when your self-sufficiency runs out? See, the story of the gospel exposes us the truth that we have a deficit and that we need God. And so it confronts the areas of our life where we try to live without him. The big story. Not only that, but I think there are some of us in this room who we are all too familiar with our deficits. We are way too familiar with the world's problems, with our problems, and we live in a constant place of shame, feeling like there is no way that I could ever join in God's story, that God could ever use me because blank has happened to me because I've done blank, because blank has been done to me. And we live in this constant place of fear and questioning whether or not we're actually good enough, whether or not we could be saved by a God because we're so familiar with how much of a deficit we have. So we live in this place of shame. But I think the big story of the gospel heals us of the shame. It says that Christ died on our behalf, becoming sin for us, taking our sin and our shame upon himself so that we could become the righteousness of God. And I think when you look at the big story of the gospel and you look from Genesis all the way to the end in Revelation, what you see time and time again is a story of people who thought they had a deficit, who weren't good enough, and yet God used them anyways. As I was thinking about it this week, I, I came across the list and then I, I started making my own because I thought it was insufficient. But this is just a, a small list of people who thought they weren't good enough and see if you resonate with any of the reasons why they thought they couldn't be used by God. Noah was a drunk. Great start to the list, drunk. Abraham was too old. Jacob was a liar and a cheat. Leah wasn't attractive enough. Joseph was assaulted. Moses was a stutterer and a murderer. Aaron was a pushover. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a playboy. Tamar was raped. Rahab was a prostitute. David was a rapist and a murderer and a horrible father. Daniel and his friends were too young. Elijah was depressed and suicidal. Jonah ran away from God. Naomi was a widow. Ruth was a widow and an immigrant. Esther was an immigrant and afraid. Jonah ran from God. I think I said that one already. <laughs> Peter denied even knowing Jesus. Job went bankrupt and lost everything. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. Martha had anxiety. Timothy was too young and probably had ulcers. And Paul, the author of the book that we were reading, killed Christians. Killed Christians. And each and every one of them, though they had the shame of those stories, joined their story with God's story. And when God joins our story with his story, 
He can do incredible things through incredibly normal and shameful people. He can make us people who can participate in a supernatural story that is far beyond anything we could ever do on our own. So we don't have to live in the shame of not thinking we have anything to offer God because he became sin for us so that we could be made righteous and live and participate in his great grand story. And finally, I think the last thing that I see the big story doing for us is that it heals us of our self-obsession. We are a culture that is completely self-obsessed. I was talking with Justin, our, uh, our associate worship pastor, last night, and he was saying that he had just recently listened to a sermon by Francis Chan, and Francis Chan was going off about how self-obsessed people were, and he was saying, did you ever notice how we used to go to places that were beautiful, like the tops of mountains or waterfalls, and we would just stare at them and observe their beauty, and now we go to those same places, and instead, we turn around and we take pictures of ourselves in front of those places so that we can share them on a social media platform so people can look at us and think how cool we are and how great our life is, right? We are people who are self-obsessed. We can't stop thinking about ourselves. And when we are self-obsessed and all we think about is ourselves, we make very small things, very small things, big things. And so someone makes a comment about us and it wrecks our week. Something doesn't go right at our job and we don't know what to do and if we should just give up. And we have these moments in life where small things become the massive things that are all we can focus on and we have blinders to anything else going on. And I think what the big story of the gospel does is it helps us see that there is a bigger, broader thing happening in the world. There's a new creation coming. There's a new creation that is here in you. See, sometimes in our self-obsession, I think that that we live in such a way where we think that there's nothing God can do with us and that, that we're so focused on ourselves that we think we have to somehow become better people. And, and we become so self-obsessed that, that it's all about us and what we can do to get to God. And we ignore the fact that God has come to us. And that what Paul says is that we are a new creation. The old is gone. And so many of us, I'm afraid, live our lives as if we were old trying to become new. And what Paul says is that you are new shaking off the old. That there's this huge movement of God in the world bringing about a new creation that you are a part of. And the story is so much beyond you and your self-obsession. So join his story as ambassadors of the ministry of reconciliation. He has given us a task to do in the world, to bring things back to the way they were intended to be, to reconcile people and life and the world to God. So what does it look like for us to be people who, who don't live for ourselves but live for our king, to be ambassadors in the world? Ambassadors, I think, are people who, who aren't self-sufficient, who, who don't live in shame, and who aren't self-obsessed. But beyond that, they are people who live for their king. They go where the king sends them. They are about the agenda of their king and not their own life. Some of you know this, but I think a good example of this is our trip to the border that's happening next month. 
Um, so we've been really interested in seeing how Waterstone can become, of the, become a part of the immigration crisis that's been going on um, in our country. And so we were sending a team uh, to the border uh, to help in a respite center with immigrants who were coming across um, from Mexico, from all over the world. And what happened a few weeks ago, um, right after we got the trip set, got everyone signed up, is that our government actually shifted its policy that now when people seek asylum or ask to come to the States, um, it used to be that you would come and you would ask to, to, and you'd be let in, and then you would be sent to await your trial. But now our, our government has shifted it to where you have to remain in Mexico for your trial, and they hold trials on the other side of the border in tents with judges who decide whether or not people can get in. So the whole trip shifted on a dime. But what made it more difficult is the place where most of the immigrants are stuck is in a state in Mexico that is actually not controlled by the Mexican government. It's controlled by Mexican cartels. And in fact, this area in Mexico is a no-travel zone by the U.S. government. They, won't, they don't want people to go there, and they won't send help to people if they get in trouble because of all the crime and corruption and kidnapping that's been taking place. In fact, there are stories of, of people in that region being caught in between drug cartels, gunfire. And to be honest, Waterstone can't send the team anymore because we don't have the kind of liability and, and policies that will allow us to send people to that place because it's too dangerous. And they decided to go anyways, right? <laughs> Because when you are an ambassador for the king, when you get caught up in the grand, amazing story, then you go where Jesus is. You go where people who have been suffering and hungry and living in tents are. And it doesn't matter if there's people who are shooting guns across the street. You go to the people who are suffering to alleviate the suffering because you are a reconcile of the one true king. That is what it means to be caught up in this bigger story. You do crazy things that the world looks at and says, why would anyone go there? Because we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And so we go where Jesus is, to the hurting, to the down and out, and to those who are suffering. And we live the big, bold, beautiful story of the gospel of God who entered into our suffering to save and reconcile us so that we can go and follow him. So this week, how will you join that big story? How can you become a part of the big grand narrative of what God is doing in the world? Because my guess is if you're like me, most days you spend living your own story because you have not been compelled by the love of Christ to go and live for him above yourself. Because the truth is, when you live these small stories, it's possible to be impacted by the love of Christ and not compelled by the love of Christ. And my guess is that most of us have been impacted and not compelled. So my call, my, 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 my ask for you this week is to be people who are compelled to live a bigger story based on the love of Christ and what he has done for you, to go into the world and see what he might do through you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I, uh, I come before you um, and I know that, that this story can feel overwhelming to us at times. That uh the practicality of how do we even begin to live for you and not ourselves feels overwhelming. 
but so many in this room, we get caught up in our, our self-sufficiency and our shame and our self-obsession, and we forget about what you've done and what you've called us to do. So Christ, I pray that you would um, reconcile us to you, that, that your heart would become our heart, that your love would compel us to go and love the world boldly, to live a bigger story. And it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.